Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. There are some famous threes in our lives, all right? Uh, this is a movie that was done back in the 80s, I believe, The Three Amigos. I, I haven't seen the movie, but um, for some reason, The Three Amigos is something that has stuck, and every once in a while you run into that when uh, you're talking about these kinds of things. And there are some other famous threes that have been a part of our experience over the years. Maybe you have grown up with uh, something like the three little pigs, right? Or um, the three monkeys, right? You hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. Or um, three blind mice uh, used to be way back in the day something that folks uh, considered. Or the three musketeers. Or the three stooges. And so there's a lot of fun things in life that we can enjoy. And there's, it seems like there's a lot of threes, and I'm sure there are others that I've not included this morning. But I want to talk to you this morning about a different set of threes. I want to talk to you with apologies to the Simpsons about the three bullies in every Christian's life. The three bullies that every believer experiences. And in preparation for that, I'd like for you, if you will, to stand and read with me the passage of Scripture before us this morning. It comes from John chapter 1, um, and it should say verses 19 to 28. Um, that's the first mistake I made since the last one there. So we're, we're looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And if you will, um, read with me this morning as you respond with a yellow print. John writes, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is I, it is he, rather, who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Thank you, and please be seated. You will remember that 
Jesus, after his resurrection, met with his disciples, the 11 who were remaining, as well as a larger group that numbered nearly 250. And he met with them on a number of occasions in different sized groups as he revealed himself after the resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, in the final appearance to this large group, he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus commissioned his disciples, and he commissions us to be his witnesses. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there are three bullies that inhibit and seek to intimidate and prevent that testimony and that witness. And we see it laid out for us here by John in this portion of Scripture. We read in the text that the... um, The folks from Jerusalem, the Jews who were in Jerusalem, sent the priests and the Levites to Jesus, excuse me, to John, in order to ask him a question. And that question was, who are you? And sometimes we ask that question with a little different inflection. Sometimes we ask that question, who are you? And I think that's what's happening as John is being confronted by these religious leaders. And so the first bully is this question, who are you? Who are you, John? And so what we find in the story, that all of uh, Judea was going out to John. Now, in your mind's eye, you can picture um, the nation of Israel roughly the size of, uh, of the state of New Jersey. Jerusalem, in their state, would be roughly in the middle, kind of like Trenton is in the middle um, of our state. And the territory around the southern part of the, of the nation of Israel was called Judea. And the text tells us in Matthew's gospel and John's gospel that all of Judea was going out to John. That John appeared in the wilderness and he began preaching. And the Bible tells us that he was preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people of the nation of Israel began to respond to him. And so people were coming from everywhere to hear this one who was out in the wilderness, who was preaching. He was outside the system, outside the nation of Israel. I mean, he lived in the nation, but he was outside of the cultural and religious system of the nation. And so the religious leaders sent to John, and they sent to him these priests and Levites, representatives of them, to ask him the question, who are you? And the question is is a loaded question, as these men are not coming to John and saying, John, tell us about yourself so that we can understand the nature of your ministry. When they come with this question, they're coming to challenge him. Perhaps you have experienced that. There may have been times when you have shared about your faith in Jesus or you shared with people a need to believe in Jesus. And my guess is that somewhere along the line, you have gotten that kind of response. Who are you? Who are you to say this to me? 
that's what is being confronted, uh, what is being presented to us here by John. Because when they ask that question, it tells us in the text that John confessed three times. See it there in the middle of our, of our paragraph? It says in verse 20, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. That's a very strange use of the word confessed. When somebody confesses something, normally in our usage, it's a negative kind of thing. When a person confesses, they are acknowledging something that they did. They're acknowledging something that has happened. And especially John reiterates that by communicating that idea three times. He says, and John confessed, and he did not deny, and he confessed. And so that forces us to look at the conversation. If John had just said it once, it may not be quite as significant. But for him to say three times that, um, the, that is the apostle John had written it once, when he says three times in the text that John confessed, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, it connotes the idea that people were saying, and they thought maybe John was saying, I'm the Christ. And so when he confesses that he's not the Christ, he is indicating to them that that's not what he's claiming to be. It's backed up by how John confronts these people. It's interesting in the Gospel of, um, of Luke, when these people come to John and they begin to gather around him, he says to them, you brood of vipers. Now, that's not the normal way that we begin sermons, right? I mean, if I, the first thing, if I stood up here this morning and I said to you, you brood of vipers, you would start backing away at that point, right? If not physically, at least emotionally and psychologically backing away. When these people come, there's obviously an antagonism. There's obviously this sense of confrontation that's taking place as they confront John, and they're basically saying to him, who do you think you are? That's what's often used in the life of believers. When you and I want to share our testimony, when we want to share with people, family or colleagues or whatever, about Jesus, it's often the response, isn't it? Who do you think you are? And that's what's happening here with John. The Jews press him even more in that next little section. They say to them, well, then what? If you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Now, the Old Testament said in the very last verses that before the day of the Lord, Elijah was going to come. God said, I'm going to send Elijah. If you know anything about Elijah in the Old Testament, he was a fiery prophet who entered into the northern kingdom of Israel and took on Ahab and Jezebel. He was confrontational. He came with the authority of God from outside of that northern kingdom, and he confronted them about their sinfulness. And so when they say, are you Elijah, they're saying, are, are you are you?" correcting us? Are you confronting us? Are you trying to, to, to take this role of Elijah to us? 
And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. It's interesting, later on, Jesus will say that John is Elijah, but John doesn't claim that for himself here. And then they said to him, well, are you the prophet then? And that's a reference to the book of Deuteronomy. Toward the end of Moses' life, Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy that God says, I'm going to send another prophet, a prophet like you, like Moses, who will be raised up among the people. And so the Jewish people were looking for three people to come. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for Elijah to come, based on Malachi chapter 4, and they were looking for the prophet to come. Now, the reference to the prophet would be somebody who exercises the authority of God with regard to the people of Israel. He was going to be a greater prophet than Moses when he came. And so they're saying to John, well, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? If you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? What they're saying to him basically is, who do you think you are? You're out here in the wilderness preaching this gospel. And the system of Judaism, the system that's being uh, administered and run and organized by the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and so forth, all of them, that's back in Jerusalem. And they were not participating in the system. It's kind of like what happens when you sometimes or I sometimes speak up and want to share Jesus, and we want to share about the needs of people that around whom we live. And sometimes their response is, well, who do you think you are? Are you God? Are you, are you a crusader of some sort like Elijah? Are you some authority? Are you somebody who, who, who's pronouncing judgment on, on all of us? Are you holier than we are? That's, that's what's being pressed toward John. The whole purpose of that kind of response is to do what? It's to shut us up, right? When somebody says, who do you think you are? They're not saying, well, do you think you are a spokesman for God? No. What they're saying is, by who do you think you are, is get out of my life. And so there's this bullying that takes place with regard to the speaking of a witness, of a testimony about Jesus. And it happens at all levels. And so that's the... That, that's the first one. Uh, I like the answer of casting crowns. Their, their answer is, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. That's who we are. We're nobody. Uh, you may have a position. You may be an authority in your company. You may be recognized with esteem in your community or whatever, but that's not the point. It's not about who we are. It's about the person that we're talking about. And the way you overcome that first bully is by recognizing that, that we're just nobodies who are trying to tell everybody about somebody, about Jesus. So the first bully is who are you? The second bully is um, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so John, as we move on, the Pharisees press him more. They ask the question at this point, what are you doing? It continues, doesn't it? They said to him at this point, well, who are you so that we may give an answer? They were under some pressure from the people back in, in, in Jerusalem. 
They were sent out to find out about this guy and to put the pressure on him to, to, uh, to remove his influence from the nation of Israel. And so they asked this question, uh, what are we going to tell people about who you are then? And so they say to him, um, you're, you're not any of these people, who are you? And really the question at this point shifts so much, not so much on who you are, but what are you doing? And because we can tell that by John's answer at this point. Um, he says at this point, as he explains himself, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so his answer focuses on what he's doing. And that tells us that that's really the point of what they're saying at this, at this juncture in the conversation. What we have is a quotation from the book of, of, uh, of, of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3, 4, and 5, we read these words. John says, I'm a voice calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. It's a call to the nation of Israel to pave the way for the Lord. And it uses the analogy of what happens when royalty comes to visit. In those days when a king would come, it's much like today. We have situations where visiting dignitaries come. Do you remember what it was like a couple years ago when the Pope came to visit our country? And all the highways were lined and all, everything was cleaned up and everything was paved the way for him. And it was only the Pope who came. Well, when a king comes, the roadway is smooth. The way is paved out. We call it rolling out the red carpet today. And so that's what John is doing. John is saying, I am the one who is paving the way. And so he's doing that by preaching this repentance He's saying to his people, the people who will listen, that you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. So John is proclaiming this forgiveness of sin as a way of preparing the way for the Lord. And so his answer to them is, I am simply preparing the way. I am simply helping people prepare for this king who is coming. And that takes us then to, to us as we answer the question, what are you doing? See, the issue was, as John was baptizing and making these disciples and so forth, that he was taking people away from the Jewish system. And so that was the question. Are you taking people away? Are you trying to build your own kingdom? Are you trying to take people away from, from the Jewish system? Here, and these people were really concerned about that. Are you making converts? Are you trying to gather people around you, make people followers of you? And John's answer is, I'm just a voice. I'm just one who's proclaiming in the wilderness to make the way of the Lord clear. And so what we do when we share our faith is that we're simply sharing the truth about the trouble that people are in and the one who came to save them. And so 
when people say, what are you doing? Are you trying to take me away from this church? Are you trying to take me away from my family? Are you trying to take me away from whatever? The answer is very simple. I'm just trying to share the trouble that we're in and the one who has come to deliver us. And so this second bully is the, is the accusation that you're doing something out of line. You're doing something for your own purposes. You're doing something to gain control or whatever. And the bottom line is that's not the case at all. That takes us then to the third bully. And the third bully is why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? The question here has to do with motivation. And so they say to him, um, because they were sent by the Pharisees, they're saying, why are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why are you doing this? And so they want to know why. They want to provide an answer. It's a threat. John the Baptist is a threat to the regime of the religious leaders of Israel. They have the nation under their thumb. They should have been, and we're looking for these three people that we talked about, the Messiah, Elijah, and the prophet. Those were the three that were predicted in the Old Testament. And when they're looking for them, John comes and says, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. They should have been excited about that and responding positively. But instead, they're saying, why are you baptizing? Because, see, baptism always connotes identification. It always brings about the idea of identifying with someone. When a person is baptized in the name of Jesus, that person is proclaiming the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and is saying, I identify my life with Jesus. And so as, as they say to John, why are you baptizing? Who gave you this authority? What, what are you doing out here? You are trying to... To, to take all of these people away from the nation of Israel. And John's response at that point, as he, as he says uh, why he's baptizing, he gives them this answer, and he says that his motivation is that there is someone among them that's unknown to them. See what he says as he responds? He says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. You don't know that this person is in your midst. And as a result of that, he says, this one who is far greater than I, I want to point you to him. And so John explains why he's baptizing. He's baptizing because he's preparing people for this one among the nation of Israel. He's already present, but he hasn't been identified yet as the one that they should look toward. And so you need to know him. And that's exactly where we are today, isn't it? That we live and move in a culture and in a society where there are people all around us who are lost and don't know it. There are people all around us who are in deep trouble. I had an opportunity this week to sit and talk with someone who was raising legitimate questions, and some of these same questions were being asked. And as I had a chance to explain that we're lost, we're born in sin, we are sinners by our actions and our deeds, and we're as bad off as the worst sinner that has ever lived, we are in deep trouble. 
and we need a deliverer. We need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. And so John is declaring the presence of one among the people that they need to know about. That's where he's going. And so he says, my ministry is about him. It's not about me. I'm not trying to build a kingdom. I'm not trying to develop followers and so forth. I am simply preparing the way for the Lord. And my baptizing is preparing people to be ready for this one in your midst who is coming. It's very interesting. There's a couple places in the Gospels where it says that, that the Pharisees had trouble with Jesus because they had not been baptized by John. The people who had been baptized by John were people who humbled themselves, who confessed their sins, who identified with John in looking for this Redeemer who was coming. And so John is preparing people to that end. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. And our task is to share about Jesus. And what we find in our lives there are these three bullies that are constantly, constantly trying to intimidate us. Those three bullies are, who do you think you are? What are you doing? You're upsetting the apple cart. You're invading somebody's life. You're causing them to feel uncomfortable about their sin. You're questioning their religious affiliations, et cetera, et cetera. And the third question, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I want to share with you uh, this morning, as we wrap up here, about six minutes or so of a talk that was given at Cairn University this week on Monday. Um, the speaker is Kevin King. He's a former student, but he's not there because of me. Um, he, he, he is a ministry in New York City in which he's involved in church planting among various ethnic groups in New York City. He and his wife live there in the city now. And you will hear him say in a moment that you need to live loud. Let me just explain that statement as preparation for what he's going to share with you. To live loud is a reference to the earlier part of his talk. This is the very end of his talk. It's a, it's a reference to earlier in his talk when he talked about how God had said in the Old Testament that the Jewish people were to, were to wear the Shema on their forehead. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, bind the Shema on your hand or wear it on your forehead in a box. And living loud is like walking around with the Shema on your forehead. If somebody has a little box on a um, thong of some kind around their head and you're talking to that person, where are your eyes going? To the box, right? And he says, that's living loud. We don't wear a box on our forehead, but we talk about Jesus. And so I want you to listen to him as he wraps up the talk, and then I'll come back and wrap up. Uh, Christian, if you will, oh. please. You see, friendship evangelism is basically, you know, the whole point of friendship evangelism is you don't want people to feel like projects. You don't want them to feel like, oh, if they're not interested in talking about the, this presentation, then I'm not going to be friends with you. Yeah, that's horrible. But the result of friendship evangelism is this idea of, no, don't talk about spiritual things until you've had enough time for them to trust you as a friend. Basically, you're being fake until they trust you, and then you try to, you know what I mean? Oh, how come I've, we've been friends for 
Three months, how come I've never heard this before? You know, is God really that important? If, you know, that's a really valid question. Be authentic. God wants you to be the authentic person as his child and not be ashamed of it. To just be who we are and talk about him all the time. And I can tell you this, those people who live out loud see the most spiritual fruit, period. Do we need to learn gospel presentations? Yeah, they're really good. Actually, this afternoon, we're gonna have a workshop where we're actually learning a gospel presentation. And that's really good because it helps you to present things logically. But if you don't live out loud, it'll never happen. If you don't live out loud, it won't happen consistently unless you plan to go out and come up with some statement to try to jump into it awkwardly. A guy comes to my door. I'm going to tell two more quick stories. It ends at 11.35, right? Guy comes to my door. Actually, we order a pizza. Guy comes to my door, and I said, oh, hey, how you doing? What's your name? He says, my name's Mohammed. I said, Mohammed, where are you from? He said, I'm from Senegal. Now, I, I, be, living out loud has become more and more a part of my life. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. God's really doing amazing things in the lives of people from Senegal. He said, really, what do you mean? I said, well, people are having dreams of Jesus and people's lives are being changed. He said, can you tell me more about that? Long story short, we started meeting and studying the scriptures together. And on his way to work, we would meet together and pray. He's back in Senegal. I'll finish the rest of that story next time. But live out loud from conversation number one. Don't make it awkward. It doesn't have to be awkward. Do you know why people feel awkward when we bring up spiritual things with them? Do you know why they feel awkward? Because we feel awkward. That's why they feel awkward, because we're so awkward about it. They talk to us and we're like, that's awkward. You know what I mean? But if we're just comfortable and relaxed and we just be who we are, nobody's going to feel awkward. People are not going to be offended that you love God and are a Christian. It's a, it, it's a big lie, this whole idea that, I mean, some people will be, but in general, if you're just being who you are, most people don't care. And most people are spiritually hungry. We had a girl in our, we have a house church network in New York City, and we have a woman in one of our house churches who uh, had this Muslim Bangladeshi woman who lived next to her, and she had kids. The mother had kids, and the, the woman in our house church also had kids, and their kids would get together, and the parents would get, to, and they would have play dates, right? So Liz says to us, she says, oh, pray for me. I'm really trying to share the gospel with my Muslim neighbor from Bangladesh, and so we, we pray for Liz, and a week goes by. We're like, oh, how's it going, Liz? How's, how's it going with the woman? Oh, I haven't said anything yet. Can you please, please keep praying? Another week goes by. We're praying. Nothing. A month goes by. We're praying. Liz, how's it going? Nothing. Two months, three months, literally. And Liz is agonizing over, I just wish I could talk to her about spiritual things. And then one day, Liz calls up her neighbor and says, do you guys want to come over and play? for another play date. Do you guys want to come over and play? And the woman, about an hour later, shows up. Liz opens the door. The woman doesn't have any kids there. No kids. And the woman says, I'm here to pray. English was not her first language. Liz asked her, do you want to come over and play? And the woman heard, do you want to come over and pray? God opened up a door. Now look, I've thought about that story and I have two different interpretations for it. Two different interpretations. Over here, Liz was agonizing. She's so much. 
wanted to engage her neighbor spiritually. She didn't know how. She, she wasn't comfortable at just living out loud and just being the spiritual. She wanted so much, and God, in his grace and mercy, divinely orchestrated a language misunderstanding so that Liz could engage her spiritually. I think that's, a, that's an interpretation. I think that's a true interpretation. Another interpretation is this just in terms of how do we understand what just happened. All this time, Liz was agonizing over how can I engage my neighbor spiritually? And all she had to do was say, do you want to pray? And the woman's like, I'm here to pray. We agonize so much. We live in so much fear about being who God has called us to be. And it's no wonder that the church in America is on decline. It's no wonder because we live in so much fear. And it's no wonder that many, many believers go and they could say, I, I haven't talked to anybody spiritually or engaged anybody at the gospel for a month, two months, a year. I've never led anybody to Christ. It's no wonder that happens because the culture has silenced us and friendship evangelism has basically silenced us as well with this false idea that you can't be who you are, you can't live out loud, you can't obey Deuteronomy 6, you can't obey Psalm 71, you can't do that until you earn their trust. That's not what God's calling. God's calling us to be who we are. Talk about him all the time. And those who do that will see conversations all the time where people are spiritually interested and you will have far more opportunities to engage people and share the gospel. That's our prayer. I'm going to talk to you on Wednesday about how God orchestrates and divine appointments and how we should expect those as we engage people throughout the day. Let me pray. Lord, we give you praise. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your light. You have called us to be your mouthpiece, your ambassadors, as though you are speaking through us, Lord. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for Noy as he helps us to understand how to logically present the gospel. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would all turn up our volumes and you would use us in incredible ways because the harvest is plentiful. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the bottom line is that we have to live out loud. We have to speak up. And we must not allow the three bullies to... Uh, overwhelm us. All right, we got to go way down, I think, in the slides there. <clears throat> yeah, you're all the way back at the top, Christian. Keep going. So those three bullies will try to silence you. People will say, who do you think you are? Or they will say to you, what are you doing? And the tone of the question, uh, go to the next slide, please, one more. Thank you. The tone of the question is such that it is designed to intimidate. It's designed to shut us up, to make us somebody that we're not, as opposed to giving us the opportunity to share. These three bullies will stop you from talking about Jesus if you let them. They're going to be there. The evil one is using that all the time. He wants to pressure you. And you don't have to be overly evangelistic. Just talk about 
the things that are a part of your life. Talk about your love for Jesus. Talk about your church. Talk about what you read in the Bible this morning. Talk about uh, something that God has done in your life. And as we do so, what happens is the antenna go up, and it connects with someone. Like the woman who came to pray, there are people all around us who are hungry for spiritual answers, but we have been bullied to the point where we don't speak, we don't talk. I'm not talking about being offensive. I'm not talking about grabbing somebody by the by the by their collar or the shirt and tie or whatever and saying you will listen to me. I'm just talking about talking with people out there the same way that you talk with people in here because I presume that's who you really are. And as we do that, we overcome these three bullies, and Jesus starts to do things. I want to show you the whole video tonight. It's about 31 minutes long. It's, it's outstanding. So on Zoom tonight, please join us. We're going to watch this about what it means to live out loud. That's really what, what the Bible is saying. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even unto the utter ends of the earth. It's called living out loud that makes that happen. So the point of what's happening here is John the Baptist is saying, I have to talk about him. I have to talk about Jesus and that's what you and I must do as well. And so we need to live in the Spirit's power. The Spirit of God lives within you. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and, and he wants to cry out, he wants to bear witness to Jesus. And so it's a matter of us just talking about it. Will it be awkward? Yeah, occasionally it will. Sometimes we'll say things and it'll be kind of stupid. You'll, you'll hear that tonight. Um, but that's okay. The Spirit of God is going to do it, and He's going to do the work in your life, and He's going to make the connections. So just decide that you're going to talk about Jesus, and as we do that, we will be a witness for Him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for all He's done. Lord, he, we would all of us say in this room this morning, He is, he is our best friend. He is our Savior. We love him. We are so grateful for all that he has done. And we confess that we allow the peer pressure and the culture to bully us into silence. Help us, Father, to be those who just simply share who we really are, who look for ways to say, as Kevin did to that pizza delivery. Wow, God is doing great things in Senegal. He's not preaching the gospel, but look what happens. And Father, I pray that you would help us to do likewise, to talk about spiritual things with people so they will know that we're spiritual and those that you're calling to yourself can respond as we walk with you. Help us to serve you to that end, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as I 
bless you as we go from this room this morning. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.